it's a, it's a very fun, very fun game. Um, very fun game. Uh, yeah. So today's topic. Yeah, today's topic is a light one. Is a light very, one. Very fluffy. Very light and fluffy. Mm-hmm. And Aaron finds himself in a position that I've been in in numerous episodes so far, mm-hmm. where he is forced to take on a position that he doesn't really believe in. Not forced. Not forced. <clears throat> Compelled. There you go. Forcefully. <laughs> To take on a position that he doesn't really believe in, which if you've listened to some of the episodes, I think you can tell that I've been in that position because I haven't exactly been, what's the word, enthusiastic about my arguments. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not that. It's just that it's like having an itch. Yeah. That you, you want to scratch, but you, you, you can't. Not, right. You're not allowed. I'm like, ugh. But it also makes it much easier for me as the episode goes on to say, you know what, Aaron, that's it. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. And then by the end of it, just to agree with Aaron. This is the problem. We need to invite people on this podcast who are just radical extremists on one side or the other. Us being the rational middle ground, right? Right. 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 For comparison. Yeah. The way that Tucker Carlson is the quote unquote rational yeah. man in a debate on Fox News. Yeah, that's that's right. 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 That's right. Yeah. Oh, boy. We don't have uh, any bow ties, though. My, my bow tie wearing man. Um, yeah. So um, so today's topic is, why don't you say, Mike? Does a nation have a responsibility towards people outside its borders? Right. I think that's a good way of encapsulating the question. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, it's an interesting question because it's taken as writ, I think, uh, that it, it does. And certainly when you hear about the way that, well, the United Nations, I think, is the preeminent example of nations taking on responsibility for people beyond their borders. But it's important to ask that question, to think about that question, because when you look at a lot of the problems going on today, whether it's Brexit or Donald Trump or rising parties in Europe, uh, nationalism in China or anything else like that, a big question is being asked. What responsibility do we have to the world versus what responsibility do we have to just our own nation? Yeah, and um, we don't, we're not actually sure where this um, this podcast will go because, um, you know, this particular topic touches um, military interventions. It touches immigration. It touches... Um, environmentalism. Environmentalism. It touches, uh, you know... Um, charity and um, relief uh it touches a lot of things and so um yeah we're not sure where it's going to go but we're gonna we're gonna try and dive in we're gonna give it a brief uh whatever brief and um inadequate treatment you can give it in an hour my basic position is that a nation doesn't have a responsibility for people outside its borders and when i say a nation i i'm using that interchangeably with government uh but and this is this is the key. This is the crux to my argument: is that that doesn't give them carte blanche to act like a jerk around the world. Right. Uh, there are other obvious moral considerations beyond the uh, just mm. charity or altruism that should prevent nations from being jerks to each other. Now we should define the word responsibility a bit before we start. So do you want to do you want to define it? Yeah. So um, I think for our purposes, we're going to define the word responsibility as implying a moral duty. So when we say, um, uh, so when we say, does a nation have a responsibility to 
people outside its borders, what we're saying is, does a nation have a moral duty towards people outside its borders uh, where if it did not act according to this duty, it would be acting in a morally negative way, right? It's a duty that, that, that expects its fulfillment as opposed to just some sort of vague expectation of potential, right? Um, so, so we're meaning we're meaning responsibility in this question. We're meaning responsibility here as a as a moral duty, right? So I'm gonna so working off my argument, my basic observation is that when governments try to help people that are shall we say beyond its jurisdiction, without any consideration for its own advantages or its own benefits, uh, the result is more often than not negative. Uh, people, rightly or wrongly, are more interested in what they, in what affects them than what affects other people. And in that sense, they you, you might call them short-sighted or you might call them selfish, but you might even just call them realistic. But regardless of how you judge that basic feature of everyday people, the fact remains the same, that when you start acting in ways that don't have clear and obvious benefits to your own citizens, uh, a government finds itself in a position uh, of defending a deeply unpopular idea or a deeply unpopular campaign. Well, it might, it might be unpopular. Right. So a good example of this would be intervening in a country to let's say, depose a dictator that we find morally unconscionable, but who would nonetheless pose very little threat to us. On the one hand, you want to intervene because this dictator is brutal to his own people and he is acting in a way that we find to be utterly objectionable. But if there's no clear benefit to us, then all the work and all the money that gets spent trying to solve this problem, whether it's deposing the dictator or deciding what to do with that country once the dictator is left, becomes more and more difficult to justify. And the more money that we spend trying to fix that problem that we may or may not have created, the louder the questions become about why we aren't spending that same amount of money on the poor in our own country or the uh, anything, you know, or... or or any of the other problems that we might be having. So when you are trying to solve a foreign problem like that, if it doesn't have an obvious advantage at home, mm. uh, it, it quickly loses favor. And the worst thing that you can do in a situation is to begin to help and then pull out your help just when you're most needed because that exasperates the problem rather than solves it. Possibly. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, um, I do think there's a distinction between having a moral duty to uh, help those who aren't citizens and whether or not that is in your the country's best interest or interest to do so. Um, it very well may be that something is a duty but is not simultaneously in your best interest. And even further it's not obvious whether or not acting in according to one's moral duty would have um, support 
from the people, right? You know, we're talking about Western countries principally where we live in, um, we live in uh, democracies, largely representative democracies. And, you know, even if there was a, there was a foreign uh, intervention of some kind where we admitted we had a moral duty to do it, um, it, it might not necessarily be a popular thing to do, even if for no other reason than because of the, uh, the, the expense. Right. Right. And so, so just because it's a, you know, even if, you know, even if an action was a, was perfectly moral, it doesn't mean that people are going to like it and vice versa. Something may be extremely popular in a, in a representative democracy, uh, some kind of foreign commitment, but it might not necessarily be, have anything to do with duty. Um, for example, um, the amount of money that we give towards, um, towards, uh, um, towards uh, to, to countries which have poorer economies or which have you know more deficient social structures than uh, a social welfare systems than we do right aid money right the amount of aid money that we give uh, as a you know in our various representative democracies um, is uh, that's a moving number it doesn't have to be what it's set at it can be larger it can be smaller we can give more we can give less um, and uh, often as in cases now when there's times of economic trouble, you have people asking the question, well, why are we giving so much money to these other people when we need money for ourselves? And there's a question of what the appropriate level of the appropriate level of that aid money should be. So all that's just to say that that um, uh, how people view our duty or, or lack thereof is one question, but whether or not we have one is another, right? And, um, and I think... Uh, uh, I think the the view on foreign aid and foreign intervention, the democratic view of everyone, I think is quite multifaceted. I think people right. have a lot of opinions. Um, but um, on the objective question about whether or not we have a moral duty or not, I think is what we're we're drifting towards in this podcast. And you don't think we do? Well, here's here's my basic assumption about the power of governments, and it's that mm. they are actually quite limited in their power. Uh, governments are not perfect entities and they're not omnipotent. They can't solve every problem even within their own borders, let alone borders for which they have no jurisdiction. So when you state that a government or a nation doesn't have a responsibility to others, it's not, I would say, an innately callous perspective. It's Mm. an admission of truth which is that uh say canada can't solve all the problems uh for a nation somewhere else in the world it nations are very limited in their grasp and the concern i think in trying to help another or or to barge your way into somebody else's problems and try to solve them is that you'll only make this situation worse uh, you have other responsibilities globally, but nations are only capable of taking on moral responsibilities that they have the jurisdiction on. So Canada, for example, should participate in efforts to combat climate change, not because it's helping other countries, but because climate change will affect all of us, including Canada. Right, right. When well, Canada involves itself in foreign excursions, 
think mm. World War II, for example, mm. it's not just because the opposing forces held views that are morally objectionable, mm. but also because a world in which those opposing forces were dominant mm. would be one that was uh, unacceptable for Canadians. Right. Um, but is, does that constitute moral duty, though? Because you, you can have something that's in your best interest. Right. Um, and, but it, have it not be a moral duty to pursue. A government should always right. pursue policies that are in the best interest of its people. A government elected by its people. Ah. Right. Should have the interest of its people first and foremost. Mm. I mean, there's an obvious problem there, which is that the people uh, might not fully understand their own interests mm -hmm. and would vote against them, mm -hmm. which I think you were alluding to earlier. Uh, I was, yeah. There's also the problem that interests shift over time mm -hmm. and they aren't permanent. Mm -hmm. Well, so I, I'm, I want to make an analogy um, um, I, th uh, that I think is is helpful, um, certainly relevant, and that's the analogy of um, the two smallest and most basic um, human relationships. Right. Um, the one, uh, the most basic, I think, human relationship is between one individual and another on the basis of their humanity. Right. And the second most basic relate relationship is the first is the first social relationship, right? The most basic kind of social relationship, which is the relationship of a family, right? And so, um, in my, biological or otherwise, I'm going to just say uh, family, right? Yeah. Um, so, in my mind. Uh, this the question of does a government have a responsibility to other people right is directly um, uh, what's the word it's more or less the same question as does a family have a responsibility to another human being who isn't part of their family right and if so what kind um, because broadly speaking I understand the concept of citizenship as to reflect Family. Yes, that's right. To reflect some degree of um, a general general group identification. Right. Where that group has come together, at least in our in our democracies, that those those groups of people have come together and say that we want to identify as a single polity where we have a government which we come together to agree represents at the end of the day our wishes and our views right. as a single polity. Right. right, and in a family, uh, broadly speaking, you have the um, you have the parents of that family, the elders of that family, who, ha um, by virtue of age and experience, tend to speak for that family, and whose responsibility it is to look after that family's interests. Right, um, and so so I think the comparison is is apt. Right now, um, I definitely agree that it is the responsibility of the heads of a family to look after that family's best interest and to keep that family's best interest foremost in their mind. Right. Even if their personal, their human best interest conflicts with that. Right. Right. And in that case, you know, you might, uh, 
you might be up a you might be in a case where you have to make a sacrifice right one one person's interest to another um but is there a case where a family's best interest can be put up against a non-family member's best interest and have that non-family member win out right right i think that's a that's a um that's a good question right and that's that's the same question we're asking uh with a broad podcast question but i think it matters when you articulate it in this level because i think it brings it much more uh, intuitively home to actually that is a really interesting let's say going back to the family analogy Mm -hmm. let's say you're the head of a family right and a member of your family uh almost certainly murdered someone else outside the family Mm -hmm. and you find that revolting Mm -hmm. and you want to and you seek justice for it Mm -hmm. but that would mean turning against a member of your own family right that's a really extreme example but well there's a there's a perfect example of of conflict right right and you know for example um just to just to pull one just to pull that example out of my head um in um in medieval german law you had this concept of where guilt Right. Where, um, you know, uh, someone might commit a crime. Let's just say, right. you know, uh, let's just say I cut off the hand of, a, of a, uh, another person in another family. Right. And the, the broad purpose of the Ware Guild, which is a cost for my action, right? Right. Is to not only pay some level of restitution, let's just say 30 silver for the hand or something like that. Right. But, but also to, um, to have a visible act of justice performed such that it may be said that justice was done on that action but not only that but with the expectation and the understanding that that 30 pieces of silver for that hand doesn't actually pay for the hand that's not what it's for what it's what it's for is to end reprisal is to end reprisal with the expectation that the that, that the final administration of justice will be done by the perpetrator's own family Right. Because what's hanging over this concept of wear guilt is blood feud, and if family if families don't have their members in line, if there if a family has members going off and starting blood feuds, those blood feuds are going to spiral out and affect the whole family in negative ways, right? So it's in the family's best interest to self to in a measure to, to to in a certain degree self regulate, right? On the other hand, there is <laughs> hand uh, uh, there there is. A certain problem with using Weirgeld or family reprisal mm-hmm. as an example, and that's that we are describing a certain level of self-interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving the 30 pieces of gold to the other family is not altruistic. It's it's not done for the, the innate moral good of giving that 30 pieces of gold. Well, it's, it's the... It's the... The restitution of justice that the system demands. Right? Okay, the official, so official restitution. Perhaps of we should. Perhaps we should now make a clarification that we discussed earlier uh, before we started recording, which is whether or not self-interest is innately negative with regards to judging moral actions. Right. 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 Because this does seem to be an implicit discussion being had behind the question, which is whether or not acting in a manner that some might call mm-hmm. self-interested not mm-hmm. selfish self-interested mm-hmm. is innately negative mm-hmm. if a nation pursues if a nation involves itself 
in a nation between in a war between two other nations let's say as peacemaker or peacekeeper it might be doing so on broad moral grounds of the need to stop war which is considered the utmost immoral action mm-hmm. or the the one which is the most difficult to justify but it might also have a self-interest in involving itself in that conflict because it wants to maintain trade globally right thereby enriching its citizens so does one if we can determine that there is a the presence of a self-interest behind the decisions that a nation takes on does that invalidate any moral sense of the decisions it's making or is that merely mm-hmm. some kind of will to power well i think that's a that's a really good question mike and that's actually one of the i think that's a that's a major question in general um around the topic of of altruism and uh in in ethics right because um, not to cut you off yeah. but just just to finish that thought in my own life at any rate i can't find any decisions that i've made that were 100 percent altruistic mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. whether it's giving money or donating mm-hmm. to charity or volunteering mm-hmm. even if i was helping the poor or something like that i'm not superman i still do it for among other things a personal sense of satisfaction or moral fulfillment knowing that you've mm-hmm. done a good thing mm-hmm. and that can be interpreted as a kind of self-interest if we regard it as a shall we say self-esteem or or sense of validation or moral well-being well you can certainly cash it out that way i right. think and and um lest she uh she she uh, slip past our um our attention i believe um that um that kind of um that kind of self um in, what's the i'm trying to use a non-pejorative term right that kind of self-centered in a non-pejorative way that kind of self-reflective view of the world is um is typical of certain philosophers and thinkers like Ayn rand right right who have they take this view that not only is can everything be cashed out in terms of your own self-interest but that's good and if everyone acts towards their own self-interest it would be a better world right and, and um, which i don't necessarily believe well uh nor do i but but it's certainly but that that kind of um that kind of argument has been made, and it's certainly uh, the case that people make that argument um, uh, as a as a point against um, typical religious ethical systems, right? Um, where they say that, broadly speaking, that there are always religious and theological justifications for the morality of actions and for people reasons to do good, but at the end of the day, people are actually just following their own self interest, and even if at the end, even if a moral action serves simply to be some kind of emotional bonus their motivation for that moral action isn't actually altruistic or isn't actually based on some sort of i don't know affinity for the righteousness for righteousness it's something they're getting something out of it as, as it were so um your question is a good one and i think it has in large part to do with motivations right um motivations are a really complex topic in ethics I, i'm sorry i'm talking about ethics uh, like a lot philosophical ethics so much this is is how i how i think of it um okay because motivations are inherently are inherently um uh, opaque 
right? It's hard to get at someone's motivations if they don't tell you. Right. And sometimes people don't even know what their own motivations are about things, right? But I would say that if you have an action, like let's just say you're a, li- you're a family living on a farm, right? During a famine. And someone, a poor beggar comes to you and asks you for food. Yes. And as the head of your family, you look at your food and you say, if I give this beggar food, I will go without food. And then that will make me weaker. And and I might not be able to continue to provide for my family. Um, but giving this food to this beggar might prevent him from starving. You could make that decision principally on one motivation or the other. Right? It wouldn't be obvious. Like, like it, it's not obvious which, which motivation is going to be a principle. And indeed, you might make a decision based on both motivations. Right? Like, you, you might say, okay, despite the fact that um, I'm, I'm going to starve, um, I'm going uh, to give this bread to you. But in the back of my mind, I'm hoping that you're going to st- stay on the farm and help us work. Or I'm going to try and convince you to stick, to stick around. Right. Or you might say, I'm not going to give this bread to you, even though I know you're going to die because, um, you know, we're already on the verge of death and uh, and uh, I need the food to stay strong, to feed my family, even though it's not obvious to me that not having this food I'm going to give you is going to cause my death. But I don't, I don't want to risk it. Right. Right. So I'd rather not risk it. Ooh, that's a hard and one. Kill. Right. Um, so this, this is also why motivations are opaque. So to bring this back to the topic in question, if a country in, um, decides to involve itself in something uh, like um, increased a foreign in, war, or yeah, something. foreign war or um, or um, foreign aid, it may be because of concurrent self-interests that go along with that action, or maybe because of some potential moral uh, altruism which is involved in that, or it could be a combination of the two. Hard, hard to tell. I mean. The way that we're going about this question seems to render its underlying premise moot. Which is? If a nation has responsibility or no responsibility to people outside its borders, right? The way that we're going about the question is that there's always an element of self-interest involved in its decision-making. I cannot at least in my limited imagination, mm-hmm. think of a way in which a nation involves itself uh, in another person's or in another nation's problems mm-hmm. that doesn't have some form of self-interest attached to it. Okay, well, that's isn't that like saying you can't think of, 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 um, of a reason for someone to do something good for someone else? without having an element of self-interest? Let's say you saw a car crash and you were mm-hmm. going to run in and help the person who was pinned in it get mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there isn't an element of self-interest in that. Not not in the obvious, mm-hmm. say, monetary sense, mm-hmm. but just that you couldn't live with yourself knowing that you didn't do enough to solve that problem or to, to help that person. Well, okay, so if that's if that's what you're going to say, but see, that's say, an even trickier thing, right? Well, so if, if that's what you're going to say, um, then I think uh, my family and uh, the family analogy uh, comments on because I think the intuition that we have when we think about the, the those two basic human 
associations, family and individual, yeah, is that, of course, the um, those in the family have very strong obligations toward each other. Right. And the obligations may, in fact, be strength-wise stronger than they are to any other individual. Right. Having said that, it's not that the simple fact of those family obligations erases or diminishes the responsibility that one might have for any other human being on the mere fact of their humanity. It yeah. simply prioritizes them. So, you know, you might think that, you know, a poor a poor traveler who needs food or they're going to die going up to a family that has an abundance of food, you might think that because of the mere humanity of the traveler, that family has a moral duty to provide out of their abundance to that traveler in their need. Right. Right. And you might say that you might say that 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 uh, responsibility or that that opportunity is not only a vague moral responsibility, like it would be good if the farmer did that, right. but that it is in fact a moral duty. Yeah. Such that if the farmer didn't do that, he would be directly acting in a negative or morally negative way. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of the times when we're looking at here with, um, with um, uh, immigration from poor countries, with foreign aid to poor countries, right. I think we're involved in this very tricky situation where we're looking at other human beings doing something for other human beings out of our wealth, out of our abundance towards their, their, their poverty of some kind, poverty of, poverty of, um, of a, a democratic or of, of, of government legitimacy, poverty of social services, poverty of quality of life, poverty of whatever. Right? Yeah. Material and, and non-material poverty. Right. And, and right. so it's not obvious to me that we don't have a moral duty there. Well, this is this is what I right, sort of struggle. We're talking about yeah. this. This is what I struggle with, which is that yeah. I would be of the opinion, personally, that we ought to help those people. Mm-hmm. But is that from the perspective of responsibility, or is that from the perspective of recognizing? See, but nah, see that that ah, that's very, tricky. It's a very tricky. That's question. tricky because if I say mm-hmm. that we ought to, regardless of responsibility, the underlying premise being that the people have a common humanity, that would imply a responsibility in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, this is a tricky question. Well, we're, we're dealing with very very tricky words here. Ought implies implies duty. Um, uh, well, so we're, we're talking about we're talking about uh, about these ethical concepts of of, um, of moral responsibility, right? It's very right. it's one of the central topics in ethics. Very very tricky. You know, we're talking about in which circumstances do we do we have which levels of responsibility, right? We're talking we're looking at the spectrum of moral responsibility all the way from duty, which is a hard moral responsibility, all the way down to um, to um, opportunity. Right. My right. my basic problem is that I, I don't consider myself to be much of a utilitarian because Nor me. I Nor me. I mm-hmm. worry about the premise of treating people like numbers or factors in an equation. Or utiles. Did you know that that's the official or utiles? Uti- utilitarian uh, unit of measure. Right. Utiles, yeah. Right. So thinking out loud here, if you understand Canada to be a nation of extraordinary wealth, and 
resources and capabilities. And you understand that according to the 2080 rule, you know, 20% of the world's population uses 80% of its resources. It's difficult to look around Canada's wealthy cities and not wonder what more we can do for the rest of the world, for the, for the rest of the impoverished around the world, or even for our own impoverished, frankly speaking. Right. Well, and see, I, right. th- I think that's and, where the interesting uh, dichotomy lies, because we have the situation where uh, I think most people have some feeling of, um, of responsibility, not, not, in the, not in the hard duty sense, but some, some are, uh, let me use a different word that I brought up, opportunity. Just a background sense of that we ought to help probably some degree, not sure how much, but probably to some degree people who have less than us. Right. Whether or not they're our own people or other people. But when you say, okay, would you rather help our own people or other people? Or, you know, then it's a question. Would you rather help someone who's very poor in Canada? The reason why you know, uh, who, who has an, who has a substantial wealth compared to that poor person in, say, Africa, would you rather help them or the person in Africa? Right. Where your help would presumably mean more. The the problem right? that I have with the utilitarian argument then is that going back to the acknowledgement that nations are not omnipotent and that governments have, in point of fact, very limited power, especially outside of their realm of jurisdiction, mm-hmm. you have you your, your brain starts to follow down an odd path that doesn't sit well with me, which is... Mm-hmm. Well, then you start to think about like supply routes. Like you, you know that uh, there are places, let's say, in the Caribbean that could use Canada's aid, but there are also places in South America and Africa. And then you start to think, well, how much of the total aid that we're putting out to the world is going to go to the Caribbean, which is closer, and therefore, shall we say, has less of an environmental impact versus what's going to be going to Africa or South America or East Asia or any of these other places. And then you start to start crunching numbers in your head. And then you wonder whether yeah. or not you should be crunching these numbers or if it's ethical to crunch these numbers. Right. Yeah. Like if, if what determines your choice, if you can only choose one of them, if what determines your choice to give aid to the Congo or to Haiti is that one place is more advantageous for you on a geostrategic basis than the other. Right. Then are or, you... Then, or just a supply management basis. Right. Then right. have you made that decision principally? based on your motivation for charity and then secondarily on or tertiarily on your geostrategic uh, position or have you made since the geostrategic answer was that was the one that that broke the camel's back was actually helped you make the the call have you made it principally on the geostrategic basis and almost secondarily on the basis of charity right god i hate this question <laughs> yeah it's, it's a it's a tricky one right right it's a tricky one and 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 i think the uh, i think the ambiguity is extremely indicative of its importance right because i think oftentimes these kind of um what they seem like um they seem like uh philosophical masturbatory questions right right? where you can sit around you know uh, and talk about it on a podcast but at the end of the day in your desk in government you have to make calls right they these questions i think they can seem like seem frivolous but i think they're very much not uh because the question the answers are not clear no. Right. The answers are very opaque. Right. But so um, let me let me bring that question back to the family, uh, to the to the family uh, analogy. If you you're in a family and every and um, you're 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 surviving, 
Yeah. But you're not surviving very well. Right. Right? Let's just say your daughter is weak. And you live beside a family who is um, not surviving. And their daughter is about to starve to death. Do you have a moral duty to give food to from your daughter's plate to their daughter's plate? Does, does the weakness, not does the guaranteed further weakness, but not death, of your daughter, does that, um, does that, uh, is that less of a, or is that an acceptable reality to the, 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 the guaranteed reality of the other person's daughter starving? Who, who right. deserves that food more, right? Who, or who, who, not who deserves that food more, but who ought, in the moral sense, who ought to have that food right that's a very difficult question right right because of you know there's strong intuition on both sides strong intuition for your own daughter obviously right but also strong intuition because of the increased what you would think is the increased effect of that food to the other family's daughter that being where their life is continued right your daughter's life is already continuing right that food is not going to change that and you know Human life is valuable in and of itself, uh, I believe. And so, you know, living and continuing is great. And continuing to live is definitely better than not living. Right. So taking that food from your daughter and giving it to the other girl is allowing that other girl to live. And isn't that, uh, isn't that little girl important too? Just by virtue of their, her being a little girl. Right. But then you look at your own daughter. And you see you get weaker because you gave her food away. Right. And you go, oh, boy. Right? Yeah. Now that that is how nations deal with, say, the poverty in their own nations versus the poverty in others. Right. And this is exactly kind of, this is the concept we're talking about. We're right. looking at poverty which we're unwilling or unable to solve in our own countries. And this, this, this strikes me particularly hard as a socialist, right? Because this is, the, this is one of the central issues. You're looking at poverty which you're unwilling or unable to solve in your own countries. And we're also looking at more, much more, much more severe poverty. In, in, in other countries. Well, the point right? that you made earlier that I think is really important is that the poor of your own nation might, by virtue of being in your nation, have access to wealth more broadly and at, at, at greater rates than the poor in, in other nation. Mm. And that by virtue of the accident of birth, right. as it were. Right. Right. Uh, and I'm not I, I say accident of birth and that we're all accidentally born into either wealth or poverty or something like that. We don't choose where we're born. Yeah, the circumstances of birth are are the dice roll of our of our um, uh, it's the dice roll of yeah, fate. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's just pure randomness. Yeah. And that's something that I, I struggle with, which is that Right. Mm -hmm. Just because they the dice roll had that person born in Canada and not elsewhere mm -hmm. does that is that person somehow less deserving of that and, and the answer i i would say is no mm -hmm. but that other person is also suffering mm -hmm. and that's something that it, i i just don't know what to do with i just mm -hmm. i just don't i it, it's something that i i genuinely struggle with mm -hmm. well um my my intuition yeah. is that I would like to see the problem solved in Canada, of course, because those might be people I know or the people I see. Mm -hmm. 
And does that make me selfish? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. Well, so, uh, hmm. so, yeah. So let's tie this back to, to our initial question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do governments have a responsibility in the hard duty sense to um, other people? Outside their jurisdiction. Outside, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, outside, let's make that really clear. Outside the jurisdiction. Yeah. Well, one thing is for sure is I, is I think we can, we can say easily that they have that hard moral sense of responsibility of duty to people in their own jurisdiction. Right. And I would okay. agree. So, um, having, let's just say, having attempted to fulfill that responsibility, if a government is actively attempting to support, and, and not not in a not in a non a nonsense way, not in a uh, a rhetorical way, which you would you know mouth off in a question period in the House of Commons, but in a legitimate right. way, if you're if you're if a government is legitimately helping its people, and yet nevertheless still finds itself with some measure of affluence and, and, and abundance, then um, I think resisting resisting the responsibility of, of helping those that are in extreme need becomes difficult. right I don't I don't believe that the that the um, moral responsibility to care for those who are in your power, is so strong that it may it means you have no moral duty towards towards others right. who are not in your family. Um, I believe you have you have some moral duty, right? Yeah. Now, now I know that is not, that's not saying that much though. I think we would agree that certainly in a case of of abundance, which we all of Western society finds itself in, broadly speaking. Uh, certainly, in comparison with many other countries in the world, I think in the case of abundance, um, the higher your degree of abundance, the, the the less reasonable it is to withhold that abundance from those who have significantly less. Where we're talking about the satisfaction of the basic elements of life, food, shelter, uh, peace. So, if your if you gift if gift out of your abundance would facilitate the acquisition of that. Um, to, to others who don't have it, then I think it's, there's a high degree of responsibility indeed for, for, an, for an honest attempt. Yeah. Right? Now, does that extend to taking food out of the mouths of your own homeless people? Right? Uh, no, I, I don't think it does. Um, but I don't think that you can use that as an excuse to not give aid at all. Right? There's a middle ground. Right. There's a middle ground there, right? Right. But, of course, this example that you're using is but one the other one we talked about was uh war if you feel that you to to liberate a foreign population uh you would send over an army without any without any interest for your own strategic concerns right right that that's where it becomes a a, i would argue a completely different question perhaps a, a a part two because insofar yeah. as that we've settled the question on charity, I, I would agree with you that the uh, that a nation has a duty to give back to the world, as it were, out of its out of its abundance. Out if of it, its abundance, if it finds itself in a position 
out like of its that. abundance is, yeah. is the is the key mm. moral distinction there mm. because uh, that actually means that you sort of agree with me on the on the premise of the question what that a nation doesn't have an overbearing shall we say in all cases responsibility to help those outside its jurisdiction well um I'm agreeing with you insofar as the nation um, in question no. is one of abundance and prosperity. Well, I'm agreeing with you that the that the the duty, the first duty of a nation is to its people. That's what I'm agreeing with you with. And and, the then, and of course we do we do use the term nation, uh, a, a polity, right? A political organization. Yeah, right? we we use, the, we use the term yeah. nation yeah. interchangeably with government yeah and and people right uh, you know the you know we're living in, in democracies here right so the you know i i definitely agree with you that the first responsibility of a parent is to their children to their family but that doesn't um i i think i said this uh, earlier at least i hope i did the the very fact of that relationship does not in my mind preclude the simultaneous existence of some level of responsibility to others so you know in in problem cases, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a point where the food is either going in your family's mouth or another's, right? And those are the, those are the tough tough cases, right? That were that are gonna really challenge our, our fundamental principles here. But what we're talking about is the Western world, and broadly speaking, the Western world is in a position remains in a position of relative economic abundance. Right? We are also. So, we're also making an assumption here in this question that has been come clear to me as we work work through it, which is that we are assuming that the government in question is broadly representative of the will of its people. Correct. Uh, yeah. It this really doesn't factor into considerations where the government in question is a top-down dictatorship. Um. Well. I mean, the certain because a dictatorship, let's say, would do more to defend the interests of the dictator and the dictators. Not, not necessarily, only statistically. Yeah, but I, I, I think that I think the kind of government would change this question somewhat, but I don't think it would change it uh, over much. I would still, right. say, I would still say that regardless of the kind of government—communist, monarchical, dictatorship, tyrannical. That the government still has a principal responsibility to its people, and that we would oh a, no, I a, agree. A moral government, right? I like agree. You could, you could have you could have a moral tyranny. It's perfectly possible. You could have a moral dictatorship. It's perfectly possible. It's statistically unlikely, but there's nothing to say that someone who has absolute power is gonna is going to be in, corrupted. Is, absolutely, is going to in principle abuse it just because they have the ability to do so, right? And and, and that doesn't erase the moral responsibilities that they. Uh, that they have, right? Right. Uh, you can think of the, the Roman concept of a dictator. That right. is in which emergency powers are transferred to an individual right. whose principal aim is to... Solve the crisis. And solve return. the crisis. Yeah. 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 Right. So uh, theoretically, yes, it's possible. But then there's also your Julius Caesars who... Of course. Uh, of course. Who uh, do not give back that power. Of course. Um, yeah, but so... So... Um, so my sneaky way of, of uh, 
of agreeing, of agreeing with me, but disagreeing with you. Yes, is by making the claim that um, in a case of of, um, of uh, dearth, what's another word for lack of resources? In a case of scarcity, right? In a case of scarcity, um, I'm not sure whether or not the the, the principal responsibility of family uh, it would override um, that of uh, the, the the human the mere human to human relationship. I'm right. not sure. That's a very difficult question. Right. But in terms of broad politics, in terms of our the, the table which is set before us, I don't believe what Western Western polities are in a position of scarcity, uh, broadly speaking. Uh, I believe they were in a position of relative they remain in a position of relative abundance. Though I say this in a time when our Western democracies are going through what seems to be the beginning of a of a period of scarcity in our terms in our right. you know in our uh, uh, in our experience. well well certainly it, they're going through a period in which people are loudly and rightly asking whether or not enough has been done for the poor in right. their own nations right 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 uh, especially in a yeah. time of growing income inequality the question is absolutely pertinent. Yeah, exactly, and and so and these questions come home to roost very, very um, quickly in our own current political discussions. Um, one of which being, are we doing enough for the poor? As you said, are we doing enough for the poor with the resources that we have? Right? Are we using our abundance effectively? Right. Right. And you know, one answer may be yes, and we need more, so we should say take money out of our foreign aid budget, or one issue might be, no, we're, we're not using our resources effectively to help the poor. We have enough, but we're not using them effectively. Or we're not allocating enough that we have effectively. Let's change that and keep our foreign aid budget. Right. Right. Or something else. Or let's give more in foreign aid. Right. 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 So, you know, one of those things, right? But, uh, you know, but I think this is a difficult question, especially when people of the poorest in our country are often in a situation where they feel like they're they're finding bread hard to come by right and when a poor person in a country in our in, a, in an abundant country you know finds bread hard to come by and yet sees statistics on the foreign aid budget they naturally ask the question well there's bread why isn't it in my hand Right. Your duty is to give me bread. Your duty is to care for me. Right. What do you do? That was why you were elected. Right. Right. And this bread isn't finding its way to me. Right. So, so why? Or, you, is or just food waste in general. Right. Or any, you know, exactly. Uh, my father um, finished his um, his retiring um, his uh, last few years of work yeah. in a, in, a, in a grocery store, in a major chain a grocery store, and he was uh, absolutely shocked. At the amount and of food waste. At the amount of food waste. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I'm not going to say it changed his life, but it really, really gave him pause about you know um, how we the, allocate resources. Yeah, valuing the food that that you have and and noticing when it's not where it ought to be. Yes. Right. If you could feed the homeless of uh, of a city for a year off the food waste from grocery stores, for example, then why would you not? Right. And is it a moral? Is it a direct moral uh, negative? That you're not doing that, right? Right. It, it gets right? A, it gets a, some really 
icky considerations that maybe broadly as a people we've come to value individuals on their income rather than their right right well and 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 uh, this question in terms of immigration, I think, also hits home very hard because it, the um, the uh, any any economic negatives which result from mass immigration, right, are going to be articulated as hitting the most economically vulnerable hardest, right, which is the poor, right. So exactly in the, in the same exactly the same as the other example, if you have a mass immigration, let's just say in Eastern Europe of a lot of people from the Middle East due to foreign, the foreign policy decisions of various nations and other things. If you have this question of mass immigration and you have it visibly, what, 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 you, what you seem to see is it visibly harming your poor. Right. Then you may, you may very well connect the dots that it is the mass immigration. That is itself, the problem. That is yeah. the problem, which it may be, not saying it isn't, but it's also not obvious. Right. It's not obvious that a situation that was already problematic wasn't the case prior to the mass immigration. Right. And, you know, this this poor, you know, you, your family was already starving, but because of the mismanagement of the father. You have a, you know, the, a sloppy father who mismanages his wealth and his family is suffering. Right. And then a poor farmer or a poor traveler comes along and says, do you have any bread? And the farmer looks at his suffering daughter and says, I can't take bread out of my daughter's mouth to feed you. And right. makes that call. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. What just happened? Right. Right? And even in that case, even if it's the case that the bread is going out of the daughter's mouth into the traveler. Right. Because of the situation, does that change that calculation? Is it because the father is wasteful? Does that mean that his duty is where, where, where if, he was, if he was honest and the daughter was still suffering? Does that mean like, you know, the, daughter, the daughter's moral imperative is, is principal? Or is it because he, or he in, in, in being wasteful, in mismanaging resources, thereby causing his daughter to suffer, does he actually have a, a, a superior moral duty to that traveler? Right, yeah. If, if there was a means by which yeah. a nation could already satisfactorily take care of its poor and more, right. would we so easily blame any economic downturn that affects the poor on mm. the arrival of new poor people? Right. Uh, or is right. that a reflection of the lack of a satisfactory social safety net? Right. 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 Because it, it may be an indication of the, of the maximum ability of your country's well-managed social safety net to flex. Like it's one thing to say, all right, look, our country you know, has, has its duty to our citizens to provide right. what – and, and we, we were, we're operating it effectively. But if we – given this mass immigration, it will cause it to severely strain or collapse this social safety net. Right. Our duty is to maintain it. Therefore, because we're acting responsibly, we can't allow this situation to occur. We must allow it. In, we, we must. Uh, I can only give you a crumb of bread. Right. That's all I can give you. I can only give you yeah. a small trickle of immigration. Right. But if you're in a situation where there's mass waste and mismanagement, and you have, you know, you know, and, and you have the ability to satisfy, you know, to, to, to satisfy your, your your poor, but you don't, and then other poor people show up. Which are going to make that your poor your poor's life worse? Whose fault is it? Right? Where's where? How are we dividing this moral responsibility pie? Exactly. Right. And this is, I think, this is the the broad, uh, vicious debate going on right now in, in Europe and in uh, in America with the, the the southern border, and in fact in lots of places. 
um, uh, with respect to immigration, but with respect to a, a lot of things. Right. Right. People are not only are people questioning the the, the management of their own social structures, but they're also having to deal with mass migration of other people from other countries who are want who are wanting to get into that that you know your culture and your society because of its social structures. Yeah. Right. And because of environmental concerns. Yeah, and, and other things. Right. Things that are much bigger than any one nation. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, it's not Germany's responsibility to take in. How many? One million? How many million? Something many? like that, yeah. It's not Ger- It's not the German people's direct responsibility. Or they're, or shall, take, or, yeah. or they're, shall we say, unique or exclusive. Yeah, that, yeah, sorry, that's more what I mean. Their unique responsibility to take right. in one million uh, At that re- number, refugees at any rate, yeah. From the Middle East. On the other hand... It might be maybe, regarded as the broad responsibility of the world at large. Right. Uh, the wealthy world at large, at any, at any rate, to make room right. for those people, right, right, or or something in between, right. I'm not saying I'm I'm not trying to make an argument that that Germany does in fact have that duty, right? right. Even though that's that's what it sounded like I just said. What I'm saying is that I think the question is extremely delicate. I think the answer is is the answer one way or the other is not obvious. It could just as easily be that that duty exists. Yeah. Then it then it doesn't, uh, which is why I think we need to continue to talk about it, right? Um, because at the end of the day, of course, it's people's lives that are affected by these decisions, right? right? Who are you going to give the bread to? That bread's going to go stale, right? It's not going to last forever. You're going to have to make a call, yeah, right? And we're you know we're making calls about this stuff all the time, right? And uh, you know so. So I don't know. Like that's a that's that's saying a lot while saying nothing. Um, uh, you know. You know, contrasting Canada's foreign aid budget with the needs of its um, of its native Canadian reserves. Right. That mm-hmm. you, you want you want a tough question. Want a tough question? Yeah. I mean, you have two situations which are, well, you know, which are untenable. Right. It's untenable to have people dying of famine in, in Yemen. It's also untenable to have people in your own country committing suicide, or in, in preference to dying of famine, or, yeah. or, or 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 something else, right? And is the is the question? This is sort of I'm kind of summing up my my position here. Is the question how do we divide these limited resources, or is the question why are these resources limited? right now do they have to be as limited as they are right right um right and and this is i think the broad uh, i hope that my my articulation of this broadly um aligns with the intuition of socialist listeners because of course that's the that's the broad um socialist perspective yeah that's the broad view that i'm taking um uh but well, I, I hope that people don't hear my perspective and think that I'm a nationalist. Like, that. <laughs> well, no, but well, what, what I what I hope is obvious. I know I've talked about Mike. I'm sorry. Well, what I hope is obvious is that there's a there's a important uh, commonality between our positions, right? And that is that, and I and I said this very quickly that I do agree with you that our principal responsibility is to that that family unit. Right. Uh, and the principal yeah, responsibility that, of the government. That would be a good people. way of articulating my point, which is that yeah. it, your, for, yes, your primary responsibility is 
to the family. Yeah. Uh, and there's also a necessary recognition of the absolute limits of your power. Yeah. And that you can't expect to do good if you, the good you're doing is can't be readily justified to the people for whom you are primarily responsible. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah involving for sure. involving yourself in someone else's problems without satisfactorily attending to your own. Right. Will probably make both problems worse. Yeah. Uh, and again, I use the uh, example mm. of foreign intervention mm. as the mm. really critical example mm. because in situations where one country topples the government of another mm. for seemingly altruistic reasons mm. and then pulls out when the task of rebuilding the nation proves overwhelmingly difficult, the problem that you have after that is one in which the situation may have been worse for both countries, had nothing, you know, this you mean the situ- would be better. Yeah. The situation yeah. would be better for both countries had nothing transpired at all. Right. And even that's a difficult question because then you have to ask why they felt it necessary to even consider toppling that other nation's government in the first place. And well, that's not something that sits easily in the mind. Yeah, well, I've, I've intentionally tried to steer away from uh, from talking about um, um, the uh, the gift of peace. Right. As it were, as opposed to the gift of shelter or food. Right. The um, gift of peace being, I think, beyond measure the most difficult of the considerations to this question. Yeah, and, and I think it's also— Because yeah. the, the key distinction between the examples that you focused on and the one that I'm harping on right now is mm-hmm. that yours are— situations that happen to you and the other one is right there's there's a passive versus active Mm. distinction being made where the decisions that i'm talking about are active decisions things that you do to others whereas what you're talking about say a a flow of new people coming to your country is something that happens to you i suppose there's an active passive distinction that renders the moral dimension of your question significantly different uh, yes, there is um, uh, in in ethics. Those of you who are um, who are um, interested in these little uh, ethical signposts I'm throwing down, there's a the distinction between doing and allowing is right. very um, uh, is very very important. Um, or the, what the, the trolley problem is a typical um, typical um, example of that. Um, but uh, yes, that's right. Right. Uh, so right. A, a, mm-hmm. a a good example is you see somebody coming down the street who might throw a punch at you. Do you preemptively knock their lights out, or do you let them hit you first? I guess that's an, that's one example of the of the issue. Yeah, yeah, sure. Do you let the, them the hit doing you first. Rowing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the intuition there that there uh, uh, that that those examples try to elicit is that there are different um, ethical weights to um, active actions as opposed to path to passive uh, actions. But 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 anyway. Um, yeah, so so I think the question of the gift of peace is the most difficult of the of those of the three human needs to answer in terms of uh, what we're doing or foreign aid and whatnot, because I think it's uh, in in the in the last couple centuries I think it has the most contentious history, right? Um, in in, uh, in and it has produced the, the most world. nauseous philosophies. Uh, well, 
they all have some pretty have some pretty uh, some pretty nauseous philosophies, I think. Right. But uh, um, it's not it's not obvious where it, it was before that the um, invasion and dep- and deposition of a of a of an evil king was a uh, moral duty to those who have an abundance of military might. Well, I mean, the more accurate right. would be a moral duty to the people suffering under that evil yeah. king. That that yeah. that's the more. I think that's that's the more critical distinction because yeah the yeah that's right. that that strikes right at the heart of the problem that we were trying to elucidate at any rate, which yeah. is that the people under that evil king mm-hmm. don't pay taxes towards you, are not right. your citizens. Right. Are not, in the case of your example, members of your family. Mm-hmm. They're members of another family with their own bad father mm-hmm. that you are trying to assist mm-hmm. uh, without perhaps even them asking. Right. Right. And that's and well, that's, that's that's a whole another just uh, right another layer there. But then this same these same questions were asked about um, certainly about foreign aid and like right. about famine relief. Right. There's there are a number of people. Who make the case that um, foreign aid is actually of that same vein? That, in, to a great degree, Western foreign aid has been um, has been colonial in effect, if not intent. I see. And where I guess yeah, they, and, they would make the argument, I suppose that what that it stunts development or something, or that it. Well, I think Hades uses a common example where right. where. Um, um, it was, well, he's just an example for a lot of things, but but one one thing it is is an example of a uh, an abundance of foreign aid going to a, a small country, which ought to have transformed that country, but at the end of the day, it has if it's transformed it at all, has changed it at all, changed it very little, or made um, it worse, or or arguably made it worse, right? Exactly, and and. Um, so it's not obvious then, and that's a whole other topic, and it's actually a very dark one, but it's not even obvious that foreign aid from Western countries, from countries giving out of their abundance, out of their even an altruistic desire to give, is it, you know, for, it's not even obvious that that's a good thing, or that, 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 that in effect, its history has been a good thing. Or that in um, all cases, at any rate, by virtue of yeah, being right. an act of charity, that it yeah. is innately good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, there's a, I mean... But it's so know. that's another dimension that we haven't even talked about yet, which yeah. is that intentions notwithstanding, right. the effect is the other consideration, right? Which which can have we, a, we, yeah, I, I was sort of I was sort of alluding to that in mm-hmm. Gift of Peace, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. But that that's that's another can of worms that well, you, you know very well my opinion on on foreign military invention. I'm very much against it, but. Principally because I think it's his, the history, uh, um, our, our history of foreign military intervention shows that even if we can agree in the great debate that it's a good thing and we ought to do it, that in effect we've never done it well. And that, as you say, in that um, we may have even made things worse than they were prior right. to our interventions. And therefore, even if we were to agree, which isn't, isn't obvious, that... Uh, that it's good and we should well your your reticence to use foreign military intervention Mm. or military intervention in foreign conflicts Mm. is a case in point of what i was stating before which is that 
Right. There's an, a, a necessary level of trust mm-hmm. required of your actions right. from not only the people whom you're trying to help, but the people mm-hmm. in your own country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't have that level of trust, if you think that, mm-hmm. geez, you know, we haven't really done a good job of this in the past, maybe we shouldn't be using our military, mm-hmm. then in a very short amount of time that, gee, we shouldn't have, we, maybe we shouldn't be doing this turns into, we should not do this anymore. We need right. to stop right now. Right. And that, that's, that's a far messier problem as a result. Yeah. Because yeah. then you have to ask yourself, well, how are we going to get out of this situation now that we're in it? Right. Uh, you know, especially since we can we can point to foreign interventions, which um, did did it in, on balance seem to be righteous. Right. That you know, principally that being that of World War II. Right. Right. So but it, it is, that was what I was right. sort of alluding to yeah, earlier, sure. which is that on the one hand, the way that we think about World War II is not incorrect which is that the Western allies, I'm thinking specifically of the Western Hemisphere allies, like Canada mm-hmm. and the United States, involved themselves or got involved in uh, Europe and East Asia uh, to fight the totalitarian regimes of various of the various Axis powers mm-hmm. on moral grounds, certainly. But a world in which Europe was dominated by Axis powers or East Asia dominated by Axis powers would not be one conducive to the growth of Canada or the United States. There were, um, if one wanted to look for them, there were selfish um, uh, reasons to do it as well. Or self-interested reasons. Self-interested Self, reasons. What did I say? And, selfish? Self-interested yeah, reasons. Right, which, of course... Sure brings it back to why you have to ask in the first place whether or not self-interest in and of itself invalidates the morality of the right. actions that you're you're taking. Right. And I would say, no, of course it doesn't. Mm. But it's a worthy question. Yeah, and, and I also think that it's, um, it's imperative, um, you know, not to, again, to skirt around the gift of peace question. But uh, as someone who doesn't, completely abhor the concept of foreign intervention. I think arguing against or or, or, um, pointing out the failed history of foreign interventions uh, over the last, you know, century or two is actually an argument to, to, to um, get it right. Yeah, no, to, to, um, to rescue its innate righteousness, because I do think there, there may be situations where one is like World War II, where one is called on, to make the sacrifice out of, out of an abundance of, or even out of a scarcity of military power, but to make the principled sacrifice right. of an intervention. But when one does that, one, I think, needs some kind of moral authority in order to do so. And when one has sacrificed, one has wasted one's moral authority as, an, as, a, as, a, principled, um, as a principled intervention. As, as a, principled uh, interventionist. As a principled interventionist, thank you. Then when a when a when a situation comes up that really needs your intervention, you may find yourself bankrupt. Yeah, I agree and with that, this. I agree with that this. That would mean yeah. that you're you're um, you're being derelict of a duty which you ought you ought to fulfill. Yeah. Right? So that's and that's the ultimate cost, I think, of the 
of the, the inappropriate interventions. And I'd say the same thing, broadly speaking, for the gifts of shelter and gifts of and and uh, and food as well. Right. This is why the principled intervention is 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 necessary. Right. Because you don't want to find yourself bankrupt of will or resources when your principled intervention is required. Right. Then yeah. someone's going to die. Uh, from all those situations, someone's going to die, and you will have missed your opportunity to save them. Uh, and it's not a shame. That was a weighty episode. Yeah. That's going to be one I... Yeah. So, for those of you wondering, the conclusion of the episode is that Aaron and I just kind of shrug. Yep. We, yeah, ended, the, so... we ended this episode on mm. a shrug. We we thought we were going into it with a knowing the answers, and then we talked it out and realized uh, we probably know less about this than we did when we started the episode. Well, I'm certainly more um, I'm more um, ambivalent about what I thought my position was than I, I am certainly more ambivalent about my position. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, but that that's good. I think that's probably the mark of a. Well, let's go back to something that we do know more about. Uh, which is video games. So um, I just got my wife into Stellaris. Yes. Actually. Uh, I, uh, it's very cute. She, uh... Hi, I'm Mike. The other guy's Aaron. And you've been listening to Thought Fuzz. If you like the show, tell your friends. If you didn't like the show, tell your enemies that you did. And don't forget to rate us wherever you heard this. Follow us and continue the conversation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check out our show notes for all the links. And finally, we'd like to say thank you to our listeners for supporting us. We couldn't do this without you. Until next time, keep it fuzzy.